This is the Frogcast. Welcome to the Frogcast. We have got a ton to cover today. We are going to talk about the Frogs getting ready for the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City on the inside of the bubble, and they're going to make the big dance. Let's take a quick look at baseball as well as a whole lot of football content. It might be March 4th, but my goodness, we got coaching changes, we got practice reports, we got comments on the lawsuit, guys on commitment watch, that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, with me tonight, I've got Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern. This is Jeff Mitchell, and we are ready to dig into this. I just want to start with this, Daniel. You know, about a little over a month ago, I thought the Frogs were going to not make the NCAA tournament or be in that tough spot where they had to win two games in Kansas City. And then they just kind of hit their stride down the stretch this week, uh, this last month, even though they lost at uh, Texas Tech on Saturday, hard law, uh, hard-fought game, but they came up short in the end. I got to say that this season exceeded expectations. When you think about where the program was, as well as the expectations at the beginning of the season, do you think the Frogs have exceeded expectations thus far? I think so, because this is about where I hoped it would be as far as um, a trajectory of the improvement uh, since Jamie Dixon got here. But I'm not sure I like, it's like, it's like what my heart wanted, but that's not what my mind expected it's like it's kind of like i figured it'd be another nit run you know it just it's just hard to turn around um that quick but um and they've had their ups and downs and then you know and then sometimes and in the right times and they make a make a nice little run towards the end and would have been nice to really seal the deal with taking out tech but um that kind of stunk but uh, you know, still going to be in the dance, I assume. And um, I mean, first time in twenty years—that's pretty good. I'm excited about that. So I'd say that's that's exceeding expectations. Yeah, I was a senior at TCU the last time the Frogs made the big dance. I remember that that Billy Tubbs team and Lee Nalen, and there was a lot of talent on that team, and they just never went anywhere in the tournament. I think this year might be different. You know, I glanced back at this season, and we had that string of what felt like three straight weeks where all we did was lose by one, lose by two, losing by three in overtime. We had those two losses to Oklahoma. We lost at Texas, uh, you know, when when Andrew Jones was announced of of his illness. He's doing well. We're we're glad for that. But, you know, there's just a series of these these tight games that that the Frogs lost kind of on the front end of the Big 12 schedule. And you say, oh, maybe we could have grabbed a couple of those. But I'm wondering if that that is what built the character for them to be able to have this strong finish down uh, down the stretch run of Big 12 regular season play. Jeremy, when you think about where the Frogs have, have landed here, and if you just uh, didn't have the, the ride of the season, do you think that this exceeded expectations? I think they landed pretty much right where I figured they would. I know a lot of people thought they would finish in the top three in the Big 12, and right now they're number five. And I, I think they could go up to Kansas City and – and win a couple games and, and maybe even compete for the uh, Big 12 championship. But um, when, when you're playing with a roster that only has eight guys at one point, and at one point you're, you've lost Sean Olden and you're playing with seven scholarship players and they still somehow figure out a way to win 21 games and, and finish nine and nine in Big 12 play. I mean, that's really saying something. And you just 
can't comment enough on the job Jamie Dixon and the staff has, has done this year. And, and really the ceiling is far from being touched with this program. I mean, they've got a lot of big guys uh, that are going to be playing next year, but as far as this year, it's it's going to be fun to watch. It's going it, to it's been funner to go to TCU basketball games. There's not a game that you don't feel like there's no chance of them winning, and uh, that's that's really pretty cool to say when you had a program that was just a few years removed from being 0 and 18 in conference. So uh, for them to really be uh, mentioned in the same sentence as having a chance to win a Big 12 championship, just being a few years removed from not even winning the game. That's saying something. So, yeah, I, I think it's exceeded expectations. And next year, I'm afraid it's going to be even higher for the TCU fans. The Frogs have Kansas State in the first day of the Big 12 tournament, or the second day of the Big 12 tournament, their first game against Kansas State. The winner of that likely gets Kansas, but, you know, Oklahoma State could end up making some noise. They beat Kansas twice. They're in the bracket to where they got to play Oklahoma and then play uh, – the winner of that plays Kansas. So, you know, this. I think what we've seen watching the Big 12 tournament is you never know what's going to happen. The Frogs beat Kansas last year. Um, Iowa State always finds a way to make noise. They bring a ton of fans. I know they're way down this year, but I'm not going to be shocked if they win a game or two in even, even with the depleted team that they have this year. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be fun to follow the Big 12 tournament this year, knowing that the Frogs could do some serious damage. I would not be surprised to see them beat Kansas State and then give Kansas, if that's who they're playing, everything that they've got. And when you can do that, you, you know, it's all, all bets are off after that. You get in that title game. All you got to do is win one at that point. And um, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Frogs, uh, you know, really represented well in the Big 12 tournament. You know, I've seen a lot of crazy – bad thing – Go ahead. The, the bad thing is they're, they're going to be playing what, what's essentially known as an away game against Kansas State because they're going to have all kinds of fans there and – um, these two teams are, have played each other so closely the two times they've met. And for crying out loud, they, they've got to cover Dean Wade. I mean, that kid is <laughs> ridiculous. That would be critical. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think that they should cover him. Um, one of the fun things has been seeing some predictions of where the Frogs might be. I've seen uh, I've seen Dallas, which is I – would, I would not turn that down. I've seen Wichita, which is honestly not that bad a drive, so – Hopefully the frogs will be there within you know one one or you know one one in state or just a couple you know up by thirty five so it'll be curious to see where the frogs land. Wichita is only like a five hour drive, so that's great. Yeah, Wichita is not a not that bad at all. For those of you that are old like me and watch the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the people train don't run through Wichita; it runs through Stubville. So just don't get on the train to go to Wichita. So hopefully the frogs will be able to get a good get a good spot, get a good seat, and, and make some noise because I think that they could upset some people. I would not be surprised even if they get knocked out in the first round of the Big 12 tournament, if they get to the Sweet 16. Because if you get there, I, Dixon knows how to win there. I mean, no Pitt fans will complain about it, but he knows what to do. This is not his first rodeo. So it will be interesting to see what the Frogs – this is fun. It's fun to be a TCU basketball fan. You know, baseball team played a, a, a series this weekend against uh, UC Irvine. Uh, the the Frogs did not look so well – did not look so strong today. I, I saw that we were down by two touchdowns at one point. Uh, Daniel, did you get out to see the Frogs at all this weekend for the series? <laughs> no, I didn't actually get out. Um, even though I have season tickets, I haven't picked them up yet. Um, been busy doing other things and just, I don't know. It's just like, it doesn't feel like it's time for baseball. I, there's something about it. It's like, I don't feel an urgency to run out there like I did every single game last year. Um, 
I'm glad I didn't go uh, to the Sunday game. That was um, embarrassing. Ooh. On um, Fox Sports Southwest. Oh, was it? Yeah. I didn't even know. Brutal. Yeah. By the time I checked in, it was already getting bad. So I just kept, you know, going on about my business. I didn't even bother to see it or record it. I just <clears throat> kind of been busy. So, um, but, the, you know, the first two games weren't too bad. Um, comeback win um, in the ninth was at the first game. Um, yeah, that was game one. Yeah. That, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. And it, it the only thing, like I said, I think on another, one of the, previous podcast i was worried about starting pitching seemed to just be a little rusty and giving up just a few too many hits to give you a sense of you know like a sense of security i guess but now i see the biggest problem appears to be third base and um yeah that's gonna be that's how to beat tcu 101 is hit it towards the third baseman I think Schloss will have them out there uh, doing some pepper drills on for third base. They can get them ready there at the hot corner because I'm going to just go ahead and say cosine. I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to say much more about it. But yes, that was that was all over Twitter. That was obvious to anyone that was watching. That was not a good moment for uh, for us defensively. So curious to see how the frogs can respond to that. I'm going to go ahead and say I agree with you. I haven't. I haven't locked in on baseball. I know that I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to be an expert on all this. But, you know, I feel like I got about another two weeks until baseball really gets locked in. I start. I got my first uh, game to umpire for high school baseball in about a week and a half. So maybe something about getting the shin, shin guards out will make me now, get locked now, in. Will, will you be baseball. any better at umpiring a game than these clowns have been this weekend? <laughs> Yes, I will be for uh, two reasons. One, I like to call strikes. So if if it's close, it's a strike. So that's that's my rule. And I tell everybody that pregame and I tell everybody when they come up for their first at bat is, you know, it's a strike until it's not. So I'm, maybe, I could, maybe I'd be better than them. Let's face it, I'm probably not. But I am a better football official than the Big 12 officials. I will put that on the record for sure. So. Well, so is a dead dog, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and switch gears here. Football season is here, and I'm not going to lie. We started this podcast years ago because we love TCU football and we love to cover TCU football. So we have got a lot to dig in here. Um, We're just going to take this little chunks at a time. Our outline is pretty thick on this, and um, we're going to hope to hit it all. So, Jeremy, I'm going to tee you up for some of this. Daniel, if you got questions, feel free to interrupt. But, you know, let's just start with the important stuff. We had um, the first availability with Coach Patterson today after their practice on campus at TCU. Jeremy, you were there. Give us as much or as, as you or as little as you want out of the gate because we're going to squeeze it all out of you. What's the update on the Frogs after a couple of days of practice? Well, I mean, today was the first day, and they're still in just helmets and shorts. I mean, you're not going to see any hard-hitting and um, smash-mouth football going on right now. Uh, and really the thing that surprised me today was just – the amount of guys that are wearing the red jerseys or the green jerseys, which basically means there's no contact. I made a post on the board about it, how many guys were, were not practicing. And a lot of it's just mostly uh, just precautionary for them. And I think if the practices are two weeks from now, those guys will be going. But it's it's basically basketball right now, guys. It's and Gary always says the same thing every year, either in spring camp or in fall camp for the first few practices. The first five practices is all teaching. And so there's really not 
I know it frustrates people if, if they don't know who's starting at left tackle or who's starting at defensive end or, you know, who's, who's got positions locked down because, honestly, there's no positions that are locked down right now. I mean, for crying out loud, uh, it looked like to me that there might even be a, a quarterback battle going on right now. Now, Gary came out and said that right now Sean is probably the leader, but the key word I listened to was probably. And there was a lot of times today where Michael Collins got first team reps and then Sean as well. Um, but that was kind of noticeable. The, the the kid that I told you guys about a few weeks ago on this very same podcast is uh, Tay Barber. He just went out there and, and he was everything as advertised. So he's very quick and a little bit bigger than Desmond White, but he's already kind of supplanted himself in that too deep. I don't think there's anyone that's going to come in um, <laughs> that gets to school in, in June that's going to be able to knock him out. Uh, of that position. He's backing up Turpin right now, which basically you have Turpin out there. If he comes out of the game, you got Barber that comes in and they're basically the same type of player. And uh, Barber's extremely fast. He got behind a few defensive backs today. I'm not going to mention the guys that he got behind because they'll get ticked off at me, but uh, not the players, but the, but the coaches and whoever they don't, they don't want that out there. <laughs> um, but the, Let's just put it this way. Barber's going to be an exciting player. I, I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do um, once once fall kicks around and once the season gets started. But, yeah, just ask me any kind of one questions. Of the, just, just start answering. I mean, start asking what, me. One, one of the names that you mentioned to, to, to us that we were really excited about to see some explosive growth out of, did Jalen Rager get better oh, over gosh. the last two months because – what you posted on the board, what you have shared with us offline, what in the world is going on with this guy? I mean, that kid is incredible. I mean, today he was phenomenal in one-on-ones. I mean, there was there was no one. There, there is no one on that roster that can cover him. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing right now because – there's some pretty talented. There's some pretty talented <laughs> defensive backs on on the roster. You know, Jeff Gladney's pretty talented. Julius Lewis isn't going right now. He's one of the guys I mentioned that wasn't practicing today. I'd like to see him um, cover Jalen. But there was a few. There's a few times where he he just looks so much faster. When he comes in and out of his breaks, he never slows down. It's just like a real fluid motion. And there was a couple times. If you guys have seen that that clip where James Harden just absolutely jukes the heck out of that defender and he falls down. I mean, there was something like that today that literally happened. He ran a post corner and the cornerback just completely stumbled over his feet and fell down. And Jalen's just waiting there 15 yards wide open, but he, he's so explosive. And I think if Sean can get him the ball or whoever's playing quarterback, you have the makings of a guy that can be first team all big 12. He, he reminds me, and, and Daniel, forgive me for saying this, but he kind of reminds me of, of uh, Kendall Wright, how Kendall Wright was so explosive for Baylor a few years ago when no one can cover him, and he's just running right by people. And even when uh, – what's his name? Uh, Corey, the, the other speedster that they had there a couple years ago. That, yeah, Corey, Corey Coleman. Yeah, no Corey shirt. Coleman. And he, he reminds me of those type of players that – where TCU's been asking, the fans have been asking, hey, where's that vertical threat? Why, why can't we throw downfield? I think we're going to be able to see that this year with Jalen because, man, he does such a great job getting open. I mean, and, and, and he's just so fast. I, I think I think he's probably around a legit 4.37 right now, 4.36. There, there's no doubt in a few years from now when he goes out and runs at the combine, he's going to turn into 4.3. That's how fast he looks. 
Let's flip over to the other Jalen that uh, has really caught some attention, not only at the Night of Champions with his ability to lift, but Jalen Austin seems to have really bulked up, and you, you, you said you were going to see him a little more in the red zone. He's going to be able to, guy, be, able to guy, uh, be like John DeArce that could really go post a guy up when you get inside the 20. Yeah. What would you see from Jalen Austin, a guy that, you know, in some ways I wish the Frogs could have redshirted in 2015, even though they needed him to, to get that top 10 finish. Where well, do you he- see him? I mean, he, he's really bulked up, and I think that's a good thing for him. He's He's been kind of the, the quiet receiver the last few years. He's He's been on a, a – four, he's a four-year letterman. He's he's played since he was a true freshman, and, and now it's kind of his time to shine. He doesn't have to play um, behind a Dodge Williams or behind a John DeArce um, the last couple of years. And, and, and now uh, he's, he's really done great work in the offseason, gotten bigger, obviously. He's never going to be – a huge speed guy. He was never that type of receiver coming out of high school, but he's done a great job in the weight room. He's, he's, his hands have obviously gotten stronger too, because he did a great job catching the football today. But um, what I like about his ability is he's six, two, six, three, and I don't even know how much he weighs, but he just, he just looks solid out there. So he's going to have a chance when you do have those plays in the red zone where he can really go up, use his athletic ability and use his big body as a shield too, to keep the defenders off of him. So, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he could do. And I know Gary uh, spoke pretty highly of him after practice today as well about how far he's come in the weight room and, and how it's uh, transitioning onto the football field and, and helping him become a better receiver. One of the guys that it's absolutely essential that he is a, you know healthy 100% going into the this season this fall is, of course, Darius Anderson. Got hurt in the game at Oklahoma. There were rumors that he might play in the bowl game. Didn't play in the bowl game, which I still think was the right move. Does he look healthy right. out there? What did you think of Darius Anderson? Yeah. Did you see him moving? Yeah, Darius is, was one of the players wearing the green jersey, so I, I don't know um, once they get the pads on if he's going to be suiting up. But as far as the, the quickness and, and, and everything that all Frog fans came to love, I mean, it was there today. He was taking uh, short screen, screen passes and just just looks like he got shot out of a cannon. That's how fast he looks. I mean, he, he doesn't look like he has any uh, bad remnants from that injury he sustained last year. And, and uh, I, I personally think he could be a top five running back in the country. That's, that's how special he is. And the, the thing about them right now, running back, I, I, if I was them, I probably wouldn't put the pads on them just because they're kind of limited right now. It's only him and Shaywo, and they've got Kennedy Snell with the emergence of uh, Tay Barber at receiver. They can afford to put Kennedy Snell solely at running back. So really, you've only got three scholarship players until Fabian Franklin gets there in June, um, which will give them four scholarship players at running back. But uh, if I was them, I would probably keep him out of contact drills throughout the spring. But as far as the speed and mobility goes, he looks great. Well, let's flip over to the the uh, position group that I think is going to really be the key for the Frogs this next year, and that's, of course, the offensive line. Start with Austin Meyer, four-star offensive lineman out of Manville, you know, one of the big power programs down in suburban Houston. Where what you, you had some pretty good feedback on how Austin Meyer was doing. I'd love to hear uh, – I know our listeners would want to know about the development of the offensive line. Start with Austin. Well, he was getting most of the first team reps at left tackle today, which was kind of surprising because the, the last few years, what we've seen out of the offensive line is is really the starter at right tackle. Once the left tackle leaves, when you look at Big V and when uh, when you when you lost uh, Big V, you had Noteboom come over there, and uh, I thought 
for sure they were going to try to move Lucas Nang over there uh, after Noteboom graduated and, and let him play left tackle. But Austin Myers has done pretty good. I think that's the one kid they've been kind of waiting on to see what he's going to be able to do. He's entering his redshirt sophomore season. He's, he's big. He looked like he moved pretty well out there today. He didn't have any uh, effects from an injury or anything it looked like. But again, like I said, this is just basically playing basketball right now because you don't really get to see how hard they can hit or how hard they can block. Um, but all I could tell the fans right now is, is right now he was working at left tackle ahead of Anthony McKinney, the, the big Juco signee that they got, got here in uh, January. But um, it, it right now, the, the offensive line looks pretty big. And the one thing that kind of surprised me in, in talking with Coach Patterson after the practice is he, he's not really concerned, even though when he started talking about the offensive line, you started to think, man, they really did lose some guys because you got a guy like Noteboom that people are starting to talk about after his performance at the Combine. And you have a guy like uh, uh, Austin Slopeman that's a big guy who was a center that had a lot of starts in his career. Then you have a guy like Patrick Morris who Coach Patterson joked about thinking he broke the Wonderlick score to, you know, when he t- took that test because he's such a smart guy and he's thinking he's too smart for football. And uh, you got Matt Pryor that <laughs> – he said he saw it the, uh, the 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 night of champions and just looks phenomenal. And then you got a guy like Garrett Altman that was another contributor that was uh, kind of a guy that added depth to each guard position. So you, you really lose a lot of key guys from that offensive line. And when you look at the line that they had out there today, Kelton Hollins wasn't practicing, so you had Chris Gaynor. Everyone's wondering, hey, what the heck happened to Chris Gaynor? He was working at center today. You still had Cordell working at left guard. You had Trey Elliot working at right guard. He was ahead of Wes Harris at right guard. And then, of course, at right tackle, you had uh, Lucas Nang working there. And um, it, it, it's a line that's that's big. Uh, I like the athleticism that they have, but it, it's still a, a very inexperienced team, other uh, inexperienced unit other than uh, what Lucas pr- provides. So it's going to be interesting to watch. But uh, back to what kind of surprised me is that Coach Patterson said, as long as we're good on the outside, meaning I guess the receivers and how quick the quarterbacks can get the balls out, he's not concerned with the offensive line having to be perfect. He said when when they really were good in 2014, the offensive line uh, wasn't that great, but they were so good on the outside that it made, the, made Boykin and everyone else look so good that the offensive line was looking better than what it actually was. So something to watch right there, as long as uh, Sean – progresses and those receivers progress then maybe we won't have to worry about the offensive line so much but um obviously that's not going to be something that the fans want to hear because they still love Darius and Shavo so they still want to run the football but overall the line uh it, it has a uh, a pretty good ceiling and I like the athleticism and I like the size man the, the offensive line is huge right now and Anthony McKinney is probably the biggest lineman I've ever seen them have one of the other guys I'm curious about, Toby Letman, the the big British, the big Brit. I did not see him today. I looked for him okay. because I wanted to see how big Anthony compared to him, and I couldn't find him, so I asked someone if he was out there, and he wasn't out there today. So not sure where the, the English football player is. It might have been. It was mid-afternoon. He might have been having high tea. Could have been. Could have been. Well, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball you say Ty Summers has moved to Traven Howard's old spot right. and Rico Evans is going to move to where Ty was. What are some changes that you see on the defensive side of the ball and who are some guys that you might have seen out there at practice that uh, maybe caught your eye? 
Well, it's it's tough to project the linebackers right now because they're if you look at how they played last year, there was a lot of them that really got some playing time. I mean, Montrell Wilson wasn't out there today, so it's tough to kind of gauge where he would fit in. I don't know if he would walk in and be the starter over Rico or, you know, I, I could say one, one thing for sure. I don't, I don't believe Ty's going to get beat out by anyone. He's only 65 tackles away from beating Traven Howard's uh, tackle record under Gary Patterson. Uh, that's the big question mark. It, where Montrell is in this equation, it, it, that's going to impact everything. If he's able to come back, then I think he's going to play more. If he's not, then I could see a Rico Evans playing there. I could see Alec Dunham playing there. And they've got the two freshmen coming in this class that are going to be there in June that can compete this fall. So I don't think linebacker is really going to be one of those questions that we're going to get answered in the spring. I think it's going to be one of those battles that goes all the way into fall camp and, and maybe one of those battles that we see continuously throughout the year where kind of what we saw last year when they had some injuries and you've seen some linebackers flip-flopping and, and we even had Ty Summers that wasn't starting out at linebacker last year. So I think it's just one of those positions that we're going to see uh, a lot of uh, fluid activity going on as far as the, the starters are concerned. And I, the good thing about that unit is it's so experienced with uh, with Ty and, and Enrico and, and Alex. So you've got some in Montreal if he gets back. So you've got good experience with those four linebackers and the two uh, true freshmen that are going to be in are, are uh, pretty good players as well. You had mentioned that Ben Banigou is going to flip sides at defensive end. You know, he made that decision to come back uh, for his senior season, to not go into the NFL draft. He's going to flip from one side of the ball to the other. What did you hear about the, 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 the reasoning behind that? And where does somebody – who else is going to have to step up at defensive end? Well, I mean, I, I think they're glad that he's back, obviously. And I mentioned this a long time on the board when, when, when I broke that he was coming back is that – well, each each year, these players, when they're underclassmen, they'll send off to the NFL for a grade for what round they think they could get drafted in. And what I was told is that if you're a first or second round pick, that you'll get that grade back as a first or second round pick. But if you're not, it'll tell you to go back to school. And I think anyone that watched the combine this weekend heard that referenced a couple times. And so that's what Ben was told. Hey, go back to school. And, and the main thing for him was he just didn't have – the tape. I mean, he's only played really in 14 games at TCU and Gary made a comparison today. When you looked at Jerry Hughes, he played in 40, almost 50 games in his TCU career. And he had a much bigger resume than what Ben Vanekew has. Does he have great athleticism and talent? Oh yeah, of course. Everyone knows that. But the, the big thing uh, for him is he just needed to come back and get some more film. But they, uh, you know, coach Patterson said they moved him over to weak side so he can get to the quarterback a little bit better. Um, that's going to help him as far as if he wants to help his draft status. And he's, he's a little bit quicker than most of the defensive ends on the roster. As a matter of fact, I think he is the quickest, but I think that's going to help a defensive end is, is uh, kind of a scary position right now because uh, just today you didn't have Dennis Collins practicing and, and uh, uh, Bowen is in a green Jersey. So that means basically when they get into pads that he's not going to go and uh they're not gonna. They're not gonna risk him hurting that shoulder or anything else in, until the fall because they they really really need him. Gary Overshone is another guy to to keep an eye on, and and L J Collier uh, I think will end up playing the strong side because he's just he's he's just one of those uh, defensive ends that that is better on the strong side. He's not gonna be the guy that gets to the quarterback, but he's gonna be the guy that plugs up the edge and 
and helps out in the run game. So I think that's why you're going to see them flip-flopping sides and and uh, you'll have Michael Epley backing up Ben and, and Bowen playing behind those two guys and you'll probably have Gary Overshone and um, I'm, I'm unsure where uh, Dennis Collins is going to play just yet, but I'm sure he'll play the strong side. And once O'Shawn Mathis gets to campus, I'm sure he's going to be more of a uh, pass rushing specialist than what he is as a, a run defender. All right. One last thing. We saved the best for last. For for almost a month, maybe two months, I have been hearing uh, – Rumors on the internet, on Twitter, people have sent me a message asking if I know anything about it. That there is there is a lot of depth at quarterback, and one of the you know the name that gets mentioned is of course Collins, the transfer in from Penn that was Lucas Niang's uh, uh, teammate when they played up in in Connecticut. And so you were able to be there today. We got uh, Sean Robinson, obviously the the heralded recruit. We have Collins, that's a transfer, and then of course Justin Rogers, the, the you know the highest rated recruit ever to sign with TCU in the modern era, is is out there and at least working out a little bit. I know you said he's not going to hit, he's not going to get forced into into anything that's going to uh, delay his recovery, which is the right move. Give us a little bit about what you saw with quarterback, but more importantly, uh, give us your summary of what you saw. And how it might impact the depth chart and playing time because that's it's got my attention now because when you said it I believe it. Well, I mean, can you guys hear me? Okay. I can. Go right, right sorry, ahead. I thought I lost you guys for a second. Well, I think you're asking about the the quarterbacks, Jeff, and and as you mentioned. Justin, yes, I, I, I know people kind of got excited the other day when they saw that picture of Justin in the helmet, but what I was told specifically is he's only doing th- throwing drills and he's not doing anything else as far as team reps or anything like that. And uh, when I saw him today, he was he was uh, doing some throwing drills. He threw some one-on-ones, had a few nice throws, and, and uh, but you could tell that he's still a long way as far as uh, getting that leg recovered and, and making sure, and, and, and like I said before, they're not going to rush that thing. But um, the the thing that it, it's kind of surprising, but it's really not because when people post about it, they all think it's a joke when I say something about it. And that's Michael Collins. And, and I've told people ever since last summer that, man, this kid has just got a big arm. He's, he's a big kid. He's 6'5". He's about 215. He's a mobile guy. Uh, Coach Patterson said all those guys at quarterback are mobile guys. So uh, when you have a guy like that that can move around and run, that's that's pretty important in this offense. But uh, overall analysis from today, I would give the nod to Michael Collins. I mean, that guy just has more zip and, and more velocity on all of his passes than, than the other quarterbacks on the roster. And uh, he had a, a lot of great passes in the past, Skelly, found some open receivers, threw some absolute darts and uh has a has a really great deep ball the one thing i could say about his passes is man they're never wobbly they are 100 percent tight spiral every single time he throws a really really catchable ball and and when you talk about a uh receiving core that's kind of had some troubles the last couple of years uh with drops when you got a quarterback that can throw a pretty catchable ball that's that's going a long way and uh i, I would say just Watching him today, he's he's definitely in the mix. Uh, I'm not going to anoint him as the starter or anything. I thought it was pretty cool that he got some first-team reps and the offense actually moved pretty well with him under center. But uh, I think as far as uh, what Gary said after practice is the one guy that they have uh, proven on the roster is Sean, and he's right. He's the only guy that has started a college game and 
really got put into pressure situation last year when he only had a few days to prepare for uh, the game at Texas Tech up in Lubbock. You have to go on the road. You're a freshman, and he goes up there, and he does pretty well, and TCU gets a much-needed win. So I think he's earned the right to carry that torch into this year as the starter. But I would say he needs to keep watching over his shoulder because Michael Collins, man, he's he's there to stay. And and uh, I'm not going to eliminate Grace and Yulstein uh, just yet, but I, I would I would say that as far as those three and even Justin included, I would I would say Michael definitely has the strongest arm. And I would make comments around some of the some of the football staff up there, not necessarily the coaches, but just people around the program, just making comments about how strong Collins' arm was, and they were all just, yeah, oh, yeah, you ought to see this guy all the time. I and mean, just like they they all knew it was coming, like just how great of a quarterback he is and, and, and uh, how good of a passer he is. So if he can continue to show what he showed today, then I think it's going to be really interesting for Sonny Cumbie. Uh, I, I will say this, if uh, the, the fans are concerned, if Sean went down and you don't have a guy, uh, a heavily uh, recruited guy like Justin Rogers, that's going to be able to play. I, I would tell frog fans to rest easy because I personally think Michael Collins or Grayson can really do a good job and, and help this program get some wins, especially Michael. I think Michael would be one of those guys that just comes out of nowhere. He's a really great story to tell. I mean, you're talking about a guy was an Ivy League guy going to be a starter and decided to transfer because he wanted to come play big time college football in Texas. And he goes to where his old high school teammate is. And, and now he's really uh, given uh, the frogs, maybe not a starter, but certainly a, a good backup quarterback and a, and a quarterback to, that can truly help this team win some games. Well, I remember another former walk-on transfer that had a great impact, and, and it was one game, but that was kind of all that mattered with Kohlhausen and the Alamo Bowl. So who knows, man? Maybe Collins will get an opportunity, and maybe it'll be more than, than one game where he has to dig us out of a 31-point hole. So that's going to be an interesting challenge, and it's going to be an interesting competition the rest of the of the uh, off season here. I'm really looking forward to see what happens at quarterback on all fronts. And I think it's great to have this kind of embarrassment of riches. So let's kind of bring that part to a close and uh, transition. I don't, I'm, I'm all about awkward transitions, so I don't know what to say next, how to do this, but today was the first time that coach Patterson spoke on the record about the lawsuit that has been brought against him and the university um, and, you know, Del Conte and the big 12, but tell us a little bit about, uh, Patterson's comments about Colby Lissendy, about the lawsuit that he has brought, about the damages that he believed he did to, call, to prevent him from being in the NFL. Um, Patterson spoke clearly and spoke bluntly. I'd love to hear what you say, about, what he had to say about that. Well, he didn't say a heck of a whole lot. I mean, he came out and said that they've they've run the the program the same way they've done it for 21 years, and and he talked about how he's coached over 400 kids and. And, uh, you know, there, there hasn't been a, a lot of complaints. The, the big thing is, I think he was, uh, he never, he never did come out and say anything directly about Colby or, or to Colby. Um, I, I did, uh, you know, someone did ask him if he was caught by surprise with the lawsuit and he said, no, uh, I think, cause I think they knew it was coming in the first place. Cause I, I think the whole thing is only in, a public forum now is because they tried to go to TC before and TC wouldn't settle for them, settle with them. And so this is why it's even out in the forefront 
as we speak. So uh, he did admit that he was kind of hurt by it because he's he's always tried to put his life into coaching his players, and uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. But it was it was kind of funny because we had you know four guys at the practice that were really there for the the two hour practice, and then by the time five o'clock rolled around, there's about ten to fifteen more reporters there. Um, and, and with the TV cameras. And so, you know what they were there to ask. And, and uh, it's pretty funny because, you know, someone asked him about the third question in, if he was going to have any comment regarding the lawsuit. And he, he said, listen, I'm going to answer football questions first, which was pretty, I mean, pretty cool because the last time something big like this happened with the drug bust, he got attacked with about 30, you know, 20 to 30 questions, literally 20 minutes of nothing but these questions about, the drug bus before he could even talk about football. So he kind of knew what was going to happen this time around. And he basically told the person that asked the question, listen, I'm going to talk about football first. Once these guys that were actually out here for the two hours at practice, get done asking me football questions, then I'll, then I'll dive into the lawsuit. But until then these guys have, you know, they're going to ask me my questions. So that was pretty cool that he took the time because he, you can tell he really doesn't want to talk about it, but he's smart enough to know that he needs to say something. And, uh, you know, the one thing that, that he says is he's he's excited to uh, have the opportunity to finally tell, you know, to be able to tell his story when that time comes. He says there's there's stuff that he'll be able to say that he can't say right now that will, you know, obviously open some people's eyes. And, and, he, and he said he appreciated the, um, the former players that have come out and, and defended him and talked well about the program, but at the same time, he told them, Hey, don't do that. You know, stay in the weeds was his quote, stay in the weeds. Don't say anything. And and we'll all have our chance to come out and say the things that we need to say when, when the time's right. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, very detailed, but uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool of him to actually go out there and finally make some kind of comment on it. Well, this is this is both a big deal and not a big deal because I think it's going to be addressed. I think it'll be taken care of. I will buy everybody a, a round of Coke, uh, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, or Coors Light if this actually sees the light of day. If this actually gets to discovery, but it's going to be an interesting, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds because it's like all sports lawsuits. It, it has larger impact, you know. If you can sue your university. That's that's a that has opened Pandora's box, and they don't know. You know, I would not be surprised if there become other defendants that join in to help uh, make sure that this thing doesn't uh, oh, yeah. unravel. Because I think I think most major universities would be afraid that you could come back and claw and, and claim damages if you got hurt on their practice field, and that's kind yeah, of he's what, kind of where we're at. It. He he won't never say it, but awesome. he is kind of fighting for college football right now because there's there's no limitations for when a player can come back and say. Oh, you know what? They they ended up uh, ruining my NFL career. I, I I can't do this because of what they did to me or what they said. But I know one of the things that uh, a lot of people on the board have asked about or uh, not really asked about, just kind of gave their opinion about is how it's going to affect recruiting. And he came out and said today, this <laughs> Carlos actually asked him, hey, is this is this affecting y'all's recruiting? He said, well, no, we have five commits. We just had 14 guys up here on the campus. These people, I mean, they, they know what we are as a program. The recruits and their families know what we are as a program. We're, we are a, a family-oriented program. You you listen to uh, – you read the internet. You see the reports. You see what they talk about. They talk about the families. And he said uh, not one time in all the junior day visits and everything else, kids coming up, 
has any parent or any uh, recruit asked about the uh, the lawsuit. And I think that's pretty important. I, I mean, obviously, you know, other programs are going to try to use it against TCU as much as they can. But uh, for those recruits that are really following TCU and, and know the brand they have, they know that he's been there 21 years. You've got guys that played football at TCU that come back to help coach. You've got guys like Damani Cross that used to coach at TCU that are coming back, Jake Brown, uh, Tony Savino. I mean, those guys that stay around TCU because they know it's a family-oriented program and uh, that's that's what the recruits are uh, the, the, they're, they're knowing about, they're, they learn about. And one thing that he said today that, that made a heck of a lot of sense is it's really not the coaches that recruit the players. We have an input, but really the players are the, the ones that recruit the recruits. The players are the ones that are going to be up front with them and tell them how it really is and everything else. And so when you have a good class and, and a lot of kids want to come, it's really – a testament to what the players have uh, been able to do as far as getting those kids to come up to TCU. You know, if there's one thing I've learned about recruiting, hanging out with you online here, uh, Jeremy, for the last year is the things that you think are important are not are, are much different. The, the things that are important to a recruit are much oh, yeah. different than what they are to to a fan or especially a guy on a message board because. In my mind, I would just tell every single recruit, Texas hasn't won nine games since 2009, and that, like, done. That's all you need to hear. And guess what? They can still rake in big old recruiting classes. And, you know, if I'm Tom Herman, I'm like, look, if you think you're going to go to the NFL, this is the lawsuit that you end up filing because they'll push you. And that's not going to do a whole lot. Recruiting is so much different than what your average message board fan thinks it consists of. And it's kind of been interesting to learn about, mostly from you and what you post online. But it's still hard to kind of get that into your head because that was my first response when I read it was, oh, my gosh. Well, first, I, I hoped it wasn't true. I liked Colby Listenby. I thought he was a great player. He was a fan favorite. And I was like, I, ho- I hope he didn't get hurt. And th- I hope it didn't. I hope he's not uh, in a bad spot for this. But then I thought, oh, my gosh, recruiting. It's going to hurt recruiting. It's not going to hurt recruiting. Um, yeah, it will not recur- hurt recruiting. I actually no. am, am with you on that. So, because like I like I said a long time like I said a long time ago when, when this first came out and, the, and even Coach Patterson said something along the lines today is that he's coached well over four hundred, close to five hundred kids, and, and you have just a minimum amount of number of kids twenty twenty one years of him coaching that have actually came out and said anything. And so I would take those odds as a program any day of the week. You've got basically a 97 to 98% success rate. And the funny thing was, this is it kind of called out everyone because he said, of all the success stories we have, no one's ever going to write about those. It's just the ones that get brought up that seem to put the blame on, uh, you know, what, what we've done. So mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty, pretty interesting. It is. Well, let's transition here to recruiting. But real quick, you mentioned uh, Damani Cross, uh, you know, that Coach Cross has come back. So yeah. tell us a little bit about him. You know, what, what position is he going to hold? He's, he's already in pictures with recruits from the junior day that they just hosted. <laughs> What's, where's Coach Cross at in this yeah, whole thing? That, I let the cat out of the bag for real because, uh, no, he's going to – Eric Russell left to A&M as I posted on the board, and, and uh, he's going to take over what Eric Russell was doing, just the exact same thing, um, working as special teams outside the, the sidelines. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I think it's great. I think it's great that he's back. Uh, Damani's a, a really uh, bright guy. I know recruits love him. He, he was a good recruiter when he was here, and, and 
I saw him today and you could just tell that he, he was glad to be back around the program. And, and I know he loved it at TCU. It was, you're not going to have a coach that's going to stay at TCU um, and, and reject a offer from an SEC program to go be, become a uh, defensive coordinator and have a chance to call plays. So I, I didn't blame that's him. That's his alma mater. That's where he played it. Yeah, exactly. So for him to be back, I think it just adds to adds another uh, big time feather to the cap of the coaching staff. I mean, he's he's a great coach and he's going to help. He won't be able to go out and recruit on the road or anything, but he'll be able to talk to kids once they get on campus. And I, I think that'll help them tremendously as far as recruiting goes. Um, but yeah, I love I love the fact that he's back at TCU. And I asked Coach Patterson today, how you know was it was it an easy decision? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely, because Coach Patterson was actually trying to help Damani get a job once he got let go from uh, Missouri. He was trying to help him get uh, a position at somewhere else um, when all these coaching positions came open um, uh, at these various programs. So for him to get back over at TCU is pretty good. Now he did make a joke that he probably obviously won't be there very long because every time they bring in a guy that's going to be a GA that they leave. And he remarked about Sonny Docks being over at a, not a GA, but as an analyst, sorry. Um, being a, he remarked about Sonny Docks being over there at SMU now after being there at TCU just for one year. And now he knows everything about TC, everything about TCU and knows what they do. And <laughs> he mentioned uh, Trey Haverty being over there as well. Former TCU coach at the, you know, for the safeties and, uh, he made a joke about that, but yeah, I think it's pretty cool that Damani's back. It's uh, it's cool to see these coaches come back. Him and Jake Brown, um, you know, they left around the same time, and now they're back. And so, I think it's going to help them in the long run. Well, let's talk a little recruiting here, real quick, to to close out this episode. I'm going to give you some names here. You tell me where the frogs stand because these are some guys I've got my eye on, and then you'll kind of give us a recap of some guys that were on campus this last weekend. So let's talk about Andrew Coker. Um, Greg Powers actually from our 24/7 site just put in a crystal ball for him to the frogs. Where do the frogs stand with Andrew Coker, and where, what, what's your uh, a summary of him as as a prospect? I think TCU's in good position. He told me straight up down in Houston last week that they're one of his favorite schools. And uh, I know uh, Coach Thompson is doing a uh, a really uh, big time job recruiting him. He's he's making a, making it known that uh, excuse me that Andrew is uh, one of his uh, top prospects. And uh, he's if you watched him last week at the at the opening, he was tremendous. He used to be about 6'7", 350 pounds, and now he's down to 6'7", 305. I think you said around 305, 310. And he's really, really slimmed down, and it's really helped his footwork. And he did a, a really – it really helped him uh, as far as going one-on-one against some of those faster defensive ends down in Houston. He did a great job, and, and really me and Greg kind of thought he was the top offensive lineman there. I don't know what everyone else thought, but – we thought that he was pretty tremendous, and uh, TCU's got a very good chance at him right now. You know, I slimmed down to 305 as well. I just kind of wanted to add that in there. So, um, yeah, that's a big boy, and I, I, I really like to see the, the emphasis that's being put on this off- this class on off- I'm getting guys in the trenches that are is, you know highly rated and have a real high upside. So I'm excited about right. uh, Andrew being being a prospect for the Frogs. Uh, just just before we hit record tonight, uh, Lake, Lake Travis wide receiver Garrett Wilson released his top eight. Frogs make the top eight for Wilson. I know there's a lot of people that 
think he's he's in the bag for Texas because he's right down there in the Austin area. But where do you think the Frogs stand with Garrett Wilson? Because I think he's a potentially a top 75 player in the country. Yeah, I mean, we've got him severely underranked right now. I think he's I think he's a top 40 player in the country overall. I think he's I think he's probably uh, – there's no probably about it. He's one of the top three players in the state, in my opinion. Uh, and, and I know people are going to say Texas, and obviously Texas is very much in the mix, but I think TCU is very much in the mix as well. I think by the end of this, by the time he starts narrowing things down all the way down to maybe a final three, I think TCU is going to be sitting right there in the final three. I don't, I'm not going to predict that they're going to get him yet, but I know TCU, especially Chad Glasgow, has done a tremendous job recruiting. He started that relationship with Garrett before Garrett blew up to what he is now. I mean, he before Garrett went out there and really – had a great sophomore season. Chad kind of identified him as one of the top players in his region. He recruits Central Texas in Austin area. And uh, that meant a lot to Garrett. And another thing that is uh, kind of beneficial to TCU is Curtis Clay is his receiver coach. And everyone uh, should remember what Curtis Clay was able to do here as a walk-on receiver for the Frogs. And uh, the, the fact that you have a guy like that, that can, he's not going to push uh, – Garrett to TCU, but the fact that Garrett can go lean on someone that played the position at TCU still knows all the same coaches basically that were there when Curtis was there and, and, and really get a coach's perspective. That was actually a former player at the same time. You get that perspective. That's, that's going to be big for them. But uh, I think TCU ends up in the final three. I'm not going to predict that he's going to be a frog, but I know the frogs are very much in it. I really got my eye on him. Him and Dalen Wright, I think, are two are, are two guys. Dalen Wright are two guys that I really would like to see the Frogs land. That's a couple of big wide receivers that are in the state this this cycle in this class. Going back to the quarterback position, uh, you know, Langham Creek quarterback Chris Heron. I see that a lot of people are, are EJ Holland put in a crystal ball for him. All of a sudden, this offer kind of came out. I don't want to say came out of nowhere because he's a highly rated player. But the Frogs get in on him, and obviously there's there's mutual interest there. And so all of this is happening under the backdrop of, of Garrett Gunnell as well. So not only tell us a little bit about Chris, but but where the Frogs stand in terms of their number one priority at quarterback versus desire versus need versus availability. Because this is honestly the 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 – the one I'm really but curious about because you want to get first a quarterback of all, I'm going to slap you on the wrist for saying this came out of nowhere because I've been talking about Chris for weeks. No, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know. On. My arms Go ahead. Let me slap myself on the back. Hold on. Uh, no, I, I mean that that was one of the all guys right. that that was that had an invite to the second junior day. He was going to get an offer then, and and I think I even posted on the board he couldn't make it up to Fort Worth because his dad was opening up a barbershop so he didn't have a chance to get up there and, and uh, see the campus. But um, they've kind of identified him as, as one of those guys that uh, they think they could get and and be a contributor on this team. I mean, if you watch his film, and I've said it a hundred times, but he says he gets constant comparisons from the coaching staff as well about it is uh, how much he looks and plays like Trevon Boykin on the field. And uh I think if you watch his highlights, you'll kind of agree with it. He's got a, a, a pretty good arm. He's about the same size as Trey was when he came out of West Mesquite. And I saw him last week, and, and uh, he's got a, a really strong arm. He has a little bit of trouble rolling out and throwing. I think working with Sonny, that that can definitely help him. But he's definitely got the arm strength. He's He's got a, a good zip on the ball. as kind of like what I was saying about Michael Collins earlier. He really doesn't throw a lot of – 
wobbly passes. They're all tight spirals, and, and he, he's, he knows when to put air under passes, when to try to sling it in there. And uh, the footwork, he's, he's got to work on his mechanics a little bit. Uh, he, he doesn't have his, his greatest footwork as a guy like Grant Gunnell, more of a pro-style quarterback, but Grant Gunnell's not going to be able to take off and run for a 60-yard touchdown like Chris could. So that's the type of really quarterback that, you're, that they're recruiting here, it seems, every year, even when they go for two quarterbacks, they're always going to try to recruit a guy that has some mobility, and, and Chris definitely does. And uh, When I talked to him after the camp last week, he, he had some really good things to say about TCU and the, the family and everything else, and, and uh, I think he will wait it out just a little bit more to kind of see what comes his way. I know uh, he said UCLA was talking to him a little bit. Texas A&M was starting to uh, increase the interest in him. So I think he might wait just a little bit, but uh, I could definitely see the frogs landing him. And I'm sorry, my voice keeps cracking. I've been fighting over the stinking flu, and I don't know when my voice is going to crack and when it's not going to crack. So you guys can laugh at me tomorrow morning. Ha, 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 ha. Well, let's hit down the home stretch here. Tell us, uh, give us some high points from this last yeah. weekend. The Frogs had a lot of people on campus on Saturday. My Twitter feed was just full of, full of guys I, I was already following and, and trying to keep tabs on, as well as a whole new, uh, you know, uh, collection of uh, young men that were on campus that I wasn't familiar with. Tell tell our listeners a little bit about who was on campus this week. You don't have to, you know, go into detail about every kid, but what are some names that we should know and maybe some guys we should keep an eye on? Well, and my apologies because yesterday I could barely talk very well, so I didn't do a great job trying to reach out to some kids, but I'm going to be doing that this week. But uh, overall, there was there was a good group of kids. Not all those kids were top prospects or, or guys that uh, were going to get offers. Not every kid that came up to campus got an offer. Overall, um, from, the, from the kids that were in attendance on Saturday, six of them got offers. You had Marcus Williams, offensive lineman out of Longview. They really like him a lot. Gabriel Hall is another offensive lineman out of Waller. Um, actually played defensive tackle at the the opening down in Houston last week, so he, I really didn't get a chance to see what he would look like as an offensive lineman. He's going to be an offensive lineman, I, and, and that's the thing that they're trying to convince him of is that he's got a, a pretty good future as an offensive lineman. And the one good thing with, with that prospect is you got Jason Phillips that his, his dad is a coach down there at Waller, so you have that connection for, for TCU. Uh, Darren Smith is the running back out of uh, Frisco Lone Star that also got an offer. If you watch his film, he's a pretty explosive playmaker. Uh, a lot of people are kind of wondering, well, that kid didn't even start for his own team. Well, the, the guy that started last year was also a pretty good uh, running back in his own right and got a got a pretty his pretty good share of offers himself. Uh, another guy, obviously, we talked about Chris. Myron, Her- Myron Warren is a defensive end that I think people really need to keep an eye on. Uh, he very, very under the radar prospect out of uh, uh, many Louisiana. And uh, I know they really liked him a lot. And they had a couple of his teammates up there, but that's the one guy that they ended up extending an offer to. And, and as far as defensive ends go, he's definitely one of their top priorities. And, and I think they feel really good about getting him, but I feel like he's going to wait out the process just a little while, kind of see what offers comes his way because he's, He's pretty athletic. He's also a basketball player, so there's going to be more teams that once they get out and do spring evaluations starting April 15th that they're going to go by his school and, and see him up close, and I bet bet anything that that kid's going to start getting more offers. And 
Uh, Colin Clay was the last guy that got an offer, another defensive end out of Putnam City, Oklahoma. Very athletic, one of the top players out of Oklahoma, very long kid, um, very quick off the edge. And if this proves anything, guys, I mean, they're they're going to offer defensive ends this class. They have got to find at least a minimum of two defensive ends just so they can have some sort of depth going forward. They lose Ben this year. They lose Michael. And after that, you virtually have – no experience at defensive end and, and uh, very limited numbers. So defensive end is a uh, top priority for this class. The one kid that, that I, that I really like there, there's, there's two kids that were up there um, this past Saturday that I really like. And I know the staff likes a lot. And, and one of them is Brees Hall, uh, the big six two, two hundred 200 pound running back out of Wichita Northwest. I was told he actually looked about six two, two ten. So he's a very big kid. Um, everyone said he was very personable, uh, liked everything, loved TCU, and basically they're ready to take that kid's commitment as soon as he's ready. I mean, if he called up and wants to commit to TCU, they will take it immediately. I mean, they, they love that kid. And, and, and the other kid that has really, really blown up since January, since the, uh, the, uh, the underclassmen combine, the Army underclassmen combine down in uh, San Antonio, is Elijah Higgins. This kid was virtually unknown. I mean, he had maybe four or five offers in January, and they were from from some smaller schools. And now he's got over thirty offers. He's one of the top receiver prospects in the country, and and uh, he's a big kid. He's six three, two fifteen, and just another kid that they really like a lot. I mean, I know they're obviously going for Garrett and Dalen, but I mean, Elijah would be a, a very good prospect to land if they actually have a chance at, at getting him. So uh, really a good uh, crop of kids that were up there. I thought it was pretty pretty neat that six offers went out. I didn't know that many offers would go out. Um, it kind of caught me by surprise, but obviously they, they stand a good chance with a few of those guys. I, I really like their chances with Warren, the Myron Warren kid. I think TCU did a great job of getting out in front, uh, offering him first. I think they have a great chance with Gabriel Hall, and I think they have a great chance with Marcus Williams. Those those guys have uh, connections to TCU. Obviously, Hall with Jason Phillips being from Waller, and Marcus Williams, not necessarily a connection, but just the fact that Jared Anderson has done so good recruiting Longview. I think uh, the, the head coach down there at Longview loves Jared Anderson, and I, I don't think he ever has a problem sending a kid to TCU. That is why you listen to this podcast. That is some great stuff right there, Jeremy. I appreciate you. I know you've been sick and you've been working hard and you were able to kind of bring all of this together for for our listeners, and I really appreciate that. And this is also a good reminder that if you are not on Horn Frog Blitz, TCU 24-7, I don't know what you're waiting on, you're going to find that and a whole lot more on that site. It's you know it's it's less than a couple uh, cups of coffee every month. You can be a part of a great community. You can connect with 24-7. You can keep an eye on what other boards are doing and what the other writers are sharing. Great content on there. That um, that right there, what you just heard, is in and a whole lot more on uh, TCU 24-7. You need to go join it today. Well, man, we're going to bring this episode to a close. We're coming up right here on an hour. So um, that's a lot of good stuff. Talking basketball, kind of taking a laugh at the baseball program today, even though they're going to be just fine. Uh, you know, practice, lawsuits, recruiting. Is that what they were doing the other day when I drove by, when the lights were on at the stadium, they were having a game? Yeah. Yeah, they were playing. They played Friday, Saturday, okay. Sunday. That's, you did- that's what they were doing. Okay. 
You haven't been to any of them, Daniel. I'm making a, I'm, Daniel, you haven't I'm making been a poor joke. I'm not a baseball guy. Uh, I know. That, you lost Daniel. Daniels are Daniels on BaylorFans.com right now. He's on BaylorFans.com right now, trolling the Baylor fans. He's been on there for he's on he's been on Baylor fans for uh, he's been banned under at least three different accounts as far as I know. So. Yeah, they, they keep figuring out who <laughs> I am, and then they give me the ban. There he is. There, so, why don't you get a one of those? Be like one of those people that constantly troll people and get that mechanism that gives you different um, IP addresses. I could, but. I know a certain TCU fan that I had several people tell me that's what he does. Interesting. Wow. See, every time I think I'm a degenerate sports fan, I just hear stories like that. And I'm like, you know, I only got two Twitter accounts, one for the Frogcast and one for my life. I don't need to hide my ISP. I think I'm, 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 I'm in a good spot. See, I'm not addicted to college sports. <laughs> you know, there's one guy that I've blocked, I bet, 15, 20 times. He's created 15 or 20 different accounts, and I know he listens to this, and he's, uh, he's a Texas fan, and he always part, uh, posts the most, you know, like condescending, sarcastic comments, and he always misspells words the same way each time. So if you're listening to this, if you made it here an hour, man, just, just go ahead and post it like you do always in the middle of the night, and I'll block you when I wake up in the morning. So <laughs> that's college. That's why I love college sports right there. That's exactly why I love college sports. So, it's also a good reminder that the frogs have beaten Texas by double digits for four straight years. So, on that note, well, guys, we're going to bring this to an end. If I want to, you know, highlight a couple of things here on our way out the door. If you haven't yet, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. Somehow, when you give us a rating, it, it moves us up the ladder and lets people know that we are here and makes it easier for frog fans to find us. Our downloads have continued to grow. We have loved being a part of 24 seven. People are flocking to this show. I hope that you will share it. If you see us on social media, give us a like, give us a retweet, give us a, a share on Facebook. Um, you're the little things like that go a long way of getting the word out. And, um, you know, the off season is sometimes just as much fun as a regular season. So we're going to have some fun stuff here in the next few months. So for always for, for Daniel and for Jeremy, I'm Jeff Mitchell. And thank you so much for listening to the broadcast.